there really isn't an area of our operations that we're not going to enhance or greatly improve. As we laid these plans out, you know, Stephen Kircher, our president, reminded us how Boyne Highlands, the Highlands, came on the scene back in 1963. And it was all about innovation, whether it was the first triple chair, snowmaking technology. We had the Austrian ski school. We're just taking a look back and saying, okay, we're not getting away from that. Welcome to the storm. I'm your host, Stuart Winchester. Got another good Michigan podcast for you today. I do want to remind you first, though, to please subscribe to the free Storm Skiing newsletter at stormskiing.com. Look, the podcast is a lot of fun, but it is just a small part of the storm. Earlier this week, the Storm Skiing newsletter helped break the news about Indy Pass's first Colorado partner, Sunlight Mountain. And at the exact same time, I released an article about the magnificent new gondola and tram complex going in at Big Sky, Montana. If you follow the multi-mountain pass landscape, you know what March means. All the big guys release their offerings for the next season. If you subscribe to the free newsletter, you will be among the first to hear about 2022-23 offerings for the Icon, Epic, Mountain Collective, Indie, and Power Passes. Look, I stay plugged in with these folks so I can get the details in advance, and that is how I am able to release a full breakdown of their pass products the second they make their announcement. So. Subscribe to the free newsletter to get in on that. You can also follow the storm on Instagram or Twitter at Storm Ski Journal. Now, let's talk about my partners. First up, Spot. Let's face it, if you're a skier, the risk of injury is unavoidable. Meaning, if we send it too hard, we're just one crash away from crushing medical expenses. Not to mention, less time spent on the slopes. That's why Spot partners with ski resorts like Telluride, Taos, and more to offer injury insurance with lift tickets and season passes. Spot easily integrates with any booking platform and does all the heavy lifting to ensure guests are covered on the mountain. If your guests get hurt, Spot can pay up to $25,000 of their out-of-pocket medical bills per incident with zero deductible. With Spot, skiers can focus on a full and quick recovery so they can get back in their skis and on the mountain as soon as possible. Visit stormskiing.getspot.com to partner with Spot and provide your skiers with an amazing experience while showing them that their health and safety are top priorities. A win-win for your resort and your guests. Skiers, make sure your mountain has spot so you can shred with peace of mind this season. Learn more at stormskiing.getspot.com. That's stormskiing.getspot.com. And of course, I am still proud to partner with Mountain Gazette. Issue 196 dropped on my doorstep last month, and it is just incredible. Photo galleries exploring the Cascades, pow skiing, and my hometown, New York City. Essays on snowboarding is in, Alaskan expeditions, and Mammoth Mountain founder Dave McCoy. There's even a little story on the mysterious coyote, which I love. And of course, a moving look at skiing in Afghanistan before the country fell to the Taliban. But hey, don't just listen to me. Listen to my man at Isaac underscore Gardner on Twitter. Here's what he said upon receiving his issue. Quote, I had heard the hype from at Storm Ski Journal, but this is more beautiful and even more appealing than I had imagined. Thanks at Skiing Rogie. Thank you so very much. I need this this season and for many more. And quote, do not miss the next one. Subscribe now. Enter code GOHIRE-10, all one word, for 10% off subscriptions over at the newly redesigned mountaingazette.com. This code is only valid for listeners of the storm. Mountain Gazette, 
when in doubt, go higher. Episode 74, Mike Chumbler, President and General Manager of the Highlands at Harbor Springs, Michigan. The Highlands at Harbor Springs is a name that many of you may not be familiar with, even though the ski area is on the Icon Pass and has been serving Northern Michigan skiers for decades. There's a reason for that. The Michigan ski area was, since the 1960s, known as Boyne Highlands, the sister resort to Boyne Mountain, which sits to its south. In December, the resort changed its name. It was the first step in the Highlands Transform 2030 plan, which is more or less a gut renovation of the entire resort experience. The Highlands has a lot going on, and it is a major golf center. But for us skiers, that means new lifts, better snowmaking, and the possibility, even if it's in the distant future, of more terrain. If you've been paying attention, you are familiar with Boyne's 2030 plans. This podcast has featured episodes with the leaders of Loon, Sunday River, Sugarloaf, and Boyne Mountain to discuss them. Big Sky, of course, is at the tail end of its 2025 plan. And I know you're getting impatient, guys, but you can bet plans are in the works for Brighton, Summit of Snoqualmie, Cypress, and Shawnee Peak. Boyne's willingness to make a long-term commitment to upgrading its mountains is unmatched among the big guys in the U.S. ski industry. The Highlands plan does not have as much of the red meat that I was hoping for, specific new lift announcements or terrain expansions, but there is still plenty to talk about. And today we will hear from the man leading the way. Let's do it. My guest today is the president and general manager of the Highlands at Harbor Springs. The Highlands at Harbor Springs, formerly known as Boyne Highlands, has 55 runs spread across 435 acres on a 552-foot vertical drop served by 10 chairlifts. The ski area is one of 10 North American resorts that is owned and operated by Boyne Resorts. He has worked for Boyne Resorts since 1996 and has been the company's head golf pro since 1997 and director of golf since 2001. Mike Jumbler is my guest. Mike, so good to have you on the program today. Thank you. Glad to be here, Stuart. So let's start with your career here, Mike. You've been with Boyne Resorts for more than 25 years now. Where did you start? And then take us through the path up to your current position as president and general manager of the Highlands of Harbor Springs. Sure. I actually started as an intern um, from college down at Boyne Mountain, our sister resort, in, in the early mm-hmm. 90s, 1992. So I spent a summer there. Um, I was called back uh, to this resort in 1996. So I came up through the golf world and I started as an assistant golf pro at our Heather Golf Course here at the Highlands. And, you know, I haven't left. It's um, But I switched over to this current role in 2015. 15, uh, January of 2015. So uh, golf brought me here, but I've kind of meandered my way through and uh, golf's a very important part of this resort for sure, but and our company. And then um, obviously here I am. I, I mean, I, you know, just pulling on property, I knew it was a special place as you wind through the long drive. And it's just, uh, I've never thought once about leaving and it's it's been a great run. So, Mike, this podcast focuses mostly on the ski side of the business, but talk about the importance of Boyne's golf business as a whole, and then just to the extent of Boyne's golf operations around the United States. So, yeah, it certainly uh, Michigan golf has its has wonderful credibility. We have ten golf courses in Michigan, four of which are right here at the Highlands. So, it's a it's a very mm-hmm. important part for our resort for sure, and and. Our summer business, you know, most of our resorts are winter, or a lot of our resorts are winter-centric. But for us, you know, the golf plays a key, key role in our, and is a big part of our revenue stream. So, as I said, in Michigan, there are 10. And then we have, you know, across the country, there's Montana has one, and then two in Maine, one at uh, Sugarloaf and one at Sunday River. So, it's an important part of our summer operations, and, and um, Boyne Golf as a brand is um has great recognition throughout the, certainly throughout the region and then um, on a, even on a national level. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Most listeners of this podcast will be familiar with all 10 of Boeing's ski areas, but Boeing is is a pretty big company and I don't really address much outside of their skiing too much. So are, are all of those golf courses located at or near one of Boeing's ski areas or do you have properties distributed outside of those? The, the golf courses are near the ski areas, correct. So what's your ski background, Mike? Are, are you a skier? I am a skier. Um, certainly a better golfer than a skier. You know, I'm kind of a, <laughs> I'm kind of a cruiser. I like the blue runs, but... Uh, uh-huh. D- did you grow up skiing or did you, for, or did you start when you started at Boyne? Exactly. Exactly. Boyne introduced me to it, you know, so, so that, that was my first exposure. I shouldn't say, I mean, I went once in college, um, mm-hmm. you know, to a, to a place near my university, which called Cabrefay, but... And then, mm-hmm. obviously, when I got to Boyne, that was part of the program. Did someone have to convince you, or did you just kind of look up at the mountain and say, "Hey, you know what? I kind of need something to do in the in the winter time." <laughs> exactly. No, it was just, you know, that's the cool part about working at our resorts. I mean, you you know, embracing the lifestyle and getting to do the stuff, no matter what time of year, you know, makes it's the fun part of the job. So, uh, just talk about how you got involved in the ski side of the business. It, it was 2015, January of 2015, actually, um, and I was approached by then General Manager and President Brad Keene about some uh, changes for him and uh, his role. So he approached me about putting my 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 name in the fold, and and that's kind of where it, uh, the the rest is history. And and how do you, how was the learning curve on the ski side? I mean, obviously you'd been kind of watching the operations from afar for a little while, but, but how was it to actually get your hands dirty? And, and, well, and, you know, and that, that honestly, I wasn't going to apply. And, um, he talked me into it because we have such a great team, you know, you know, with my not having the extensive ski background, that's where I was leery, but we have a team and, you know, not only at the resort level, um, that very knowledgeable and capable, but even throughout the network, right. We have great, um, you know, SVPs in our company that were there to assist and educate and help. So it's really, it's a, it's, it's a team effort, not only at the resort level, but company level to make us successful for sure. What was the hardest part for you coming from the golf side? What, what was the, uh, what, what kind of translated well from running uh, the, the golf team and, and what did you have to, what it takes from getting used to? The part that translated well is just, you know, the nuts and bolts of leading people and a team and, you know, leadership that I developed in that role. The harder part is the technical side of it, right? I'm still learning every day and, you know, whether it's snowmaking or lifts or you, you name it, there's a lot that goes on and I have a lot to still learn. But like I said, we have a stellar team, um, some with some significant longevity in Michigan and, and, you know, throughout the country. And uh, we have a lot of, bandwidth to help us be successful. So let's get into the 2030 plan here, Mike. The Highlands at Harbor Springs 2030. I have some specific questions around this, but lay this out for us in the broadest possible terms and, and give us everything, not just the ski stuff. What's the whole plan? Yeah, so we're we're actually referring to it as our 2030 transformational journey, and it truly will be a transformation. Uh, and it essentially, it looks at our roadmap leading us up to 2030, and they're there really isn't an area of our operations that we're not going to enhance or greatly improve as we look at the broad spectrum. And, and you know, as we're, as we laid these plans out, you know, Stephen Kircher, our president, you know, reminded us how Boyne Highlands, the Highlands came on the scene back in 1963. In fact, we just celebrated our 59th anniversary this last weekend. So, you know, when we came on the scene, it was all about innovation, whether it was the first triple chair, snowmaking technology. You know, Mr. Kircher was experimenting with that in the mid fifties. We had the Austrian ski school and then the Highlands the hotel itself opened in 63. And it was, you know, it was the finest of amenities from the culinary side to the hotel room. And we're just taking a look back and saying, okay, that we're, we're not getting away from that. So this current plan, you know, it started with our hotel, actually. Um, we have 87 rooms that are completely reimagined, re-envisioned, highly appointed at the north end of our hotel. We'll continue that this spring with another 33 rooms and suites. And encompassed in that same space will be a a multi-level European-inspired spa. So it'll be a 14,000 square foot facility, unlike anything in the Midwest. 
outdoor pool complexes. We're looking at golf. We've already begun golf course renovations on our Donald Ross. We're going to continue that throughout the, this next year. We're going to add a short course behind the hotel. We're looking at our entire lift um, system, upgrading of lifts throughout the next decade, hiking and biking trail system we're going to greatly enhance. And then our food and beverage, our food and beverage outlets. We're going to um, not only add to one that we currently have on property, but uh, you know, look at signature dining within our main lodge hotel. So it, it's really all the touch points. You know, snowmaking. We every year we invest in that. So we're going to we're going to continue that. So it's 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 a very very exciting and very aggressive um, outlook for the next you know eight to ten years. I think the first change that we've seen is just this name change from Boyne Highlands to the Highlands at Harbor Springs. Why did you change the name? A couple reasons. You know, it was about providing that community connection to Harbor Springs that we want to continue to strengthen. And also it adds a, a geographical marker, you know, in comparison to our sister resort, Boyne Mountain. There, there's been confusion uh, over the years. People, you know, say I'm going to Boyne for the weekend when many times they mean Boyne Mountain. And, you know, so many of our stakeholders, whether it's our owners or our team, refer to ourselves as the Highlands, right? And that's what, that's what we'll be. We're the Highlands. Our full official name is the Highlands at Harbor Springs, but it, it, it has been the Highlands for us and will continue to be. And like I said, we're going to embrace and nurture the great zip code we live in. How long have you been talking about this change internally? You know, it's been in conversation gosh, for, for several years, you know, like I said, we've always referred to it as that. We finally said, hey, look, let's let's make it official and, and make it the Highlands going forward. And it was the right time with all the stuff we have on the horizon. You know, we, we certainly want to stand on our own and alone. Yeah, I totally get the justification. It, it doesn't quite roll off the tongue like Boyne Highlands. I, I think people have have called it that for so long. What what has the feedback been to this name change from your skiers, from your community? It's been positive, actually. Certainly amongst our stakeholders, property owners, and you know the loyalists that have been here. Uh, yeah, there, there were some that couldn't grasp why we dropped Boyne in the name. But no, all in all, it has been a positive uh, change for us. So when you look at everything that goes into a name change, and we saw this, this over this summer, when Squaw Valley changed its name to Palisades Tahoe. Now, obviously, that's a much larger operation than the Highlands, uh, but there's still all the same elements apply. You have signage, you have logo that is on everything from your trucks to your snow guns to uh, to your merch that you sell in your shops. So, so help us understand the scale of this effort, Mike, and exactly how long it's going to take your team to do this. Yeah, it's huge. Just like you're saying, it's a huge undertaking. It's going to take several years because you you touched on a second ago. Not only did we change the name, but the logo itself, the icon, iconic flag atop the hotel, changed. So it, it's it's huge. All the touch points, all the collateral material, like you said, all the vehicles, all the team member uniforms. It, it's it's an enormous undertaking, and um, it's a journey, not a sprint. <laughs> so how long is it going to take you to, to get through all this? It'll take several years. What's the expense look like on that? Significant. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, I can't even quantify it yet. We're still, you know, going through, you know, when you think of just resort signage, right? And, and mm -hmm. that and wayfinding, et cetera. So it's, it's a big number. Yeah. You mentioned uh, wanting to distinguish the Highlands from Boyne Mountain and and, and I think that is a, an important distinction because I, I grew up in Michigan skiing Boyne and people said, oh, I'm going to Boyne for the weekend. And, and I never really knew which one they meant. And in their head, it was self-evident because they tended to go to the same ones over and over again. But but how much of a part of that was it? Because those are, you know, looking at the landscape of the lower peninsula, those are uh, two of the probably the two biggest mountains and, and uh, biggest draws. So so how important was it to, to have two distinct brands there rather than, um, you know, what sounded like two versions of the same thing. Yeah, it, it was important. I mean, we're, we're trying to modify our brand and, you know, solidify the Highlands on it, you know, its own identity. So it's, it, it definitely played into the decision for sure. Okay. So another change that is already in effect and came into effect this season, if I'm 
uh, if I'm right about that, is the RFID technology. So talk about the transition to RFID. Has that been smooth and, and where have you implemented it so far? So yeah, um, we had hand scanning last year. We now have RFID at our main lift, you know, Heather Express. Mm-hmm. And we do have gates there. Um, and then our additional lifts, we're using handheld scanners. So, and, and there was a learning curve. There's no question, not only for our team, but our, for our longtime visitors, you know, from the standpoint of the, having the media in your pocket and <laughs> keeping it out from behind cell phones and credit cards. So it was a little bumpy, uh, you know, initially, but I think um, all in all, we're ironing, we've ironed out the kinks and it's, it's going well for us. So you have the gates on the Heather Express, and we'll talk about lifts in a moment here, but do you think that as you put in new lifts, you would introduce gates as part of those installations? Potentially, just depends on the location um, and, and what what application, what, what you know, lift we put in at that spot but yeah it's not not ruling it out for sure yeah it's uh the the combination of the hand scanners and the gates is interesting mike because pretty much everywhere else that i'm aware of it's it's either or right so Vale uses all hand scanners at all of its mountains as far as i know and then some of the other big resorts that have them like say killington or sugarbush they have gates at all of their lifts, at least on the lower mountain and the upper mountain, they assume that, you know, if you're up there, you already got scanned, so they don't have scanners at all. Right. So so as you see this working across the resort, do you have a, a sense of which one is, is a little bit smoother or, or which one the guests prefer, which one you prefer for that matter, as far as, you know, hand scanners or gates? You know, they both serve a purpose. Um... You know, I, I think the the lifts that we don't have gates at that we use the the hand scanners, it, it's working well. It's it's it works for us. So the combination is working just fine. And you know that that one made the most sense to do it at that. Um, but yeah, for us, it, it seems to be working with the combination. The the explanation I was given by Boyne before for why Boyne Mountain and Highlands did not have gates was just well you have so many lifts that go to the bottom. If you look at someplace like Big Sky, it has a lot of chairlifts, but not that many of them actually come out of the base, right? So you don't actually need to put the gates in uh, at all of the lifts, whereas a place like Boyne Mountain or Boyne Highlands, you would have to. So this seems like kind of an, uh, an inventive solution where you don't have to put the full gates in everywhere and you can kind of flex to, okay, you know, on today we only have three, uh, three lifts open, so we can just deploy more scanners. Exactly, exactly, it gives flexibility. So you mentioned snowmaking, Mike, and throughout Boyne, the snowmaking systems are are extremely powerful and they're always upgrading. And most of the mountains already have 100% coverage, at least in the Midwest and the Northeast. Uh, but you mentioned that you're looking for more upgrades. So just talk us through this. What's your what, what's the vision for the Highlands as you move into the future as far as snowmaking goes? So we want to you know expand our horsepower and add some more guns. Um, we we actually as a company. We've hired a gentleman, you know, a VP of snow surface and design, and his job is specifically to look at every resort systems and what they have currently infrastructure capacity. You know, he, he's just a brilliant individual and been an unbelievable addition to our team. So he, he takes an overarching, he'll, he'll take an overarching view of each resort and come up with efficiencies and what is the plan to, you know, ideally we want to get terrain open as quickly as possible right and so for us nothing's um stamped in stone just yet but our our next area we're looking at is our north end and um getting that end of the property open as quickly as possible you know in years that you know sometimes mother nature doesn't help this this year in particular we had at least a week in december where we couldn't make snow because temperatures didn't allow so when you are able to, you got to be able to go guns a blazing, right? And so for us, it's it's taking a hard look at that north end and, and gaining efficiency, so you're not moving guns and downtime of moving guns. So, uh, like I said, it's not official yet that it's the north end's the spot, but that's where we're taking a hard look at and um, just getting terrain open quicker. And for for the listeners who may be more accustomed to thinking about the highlands in terms of trails when you say the north end that refers to which terrain pod which lift so so you've got um interconnect mm-hmm. uh, the long lift that takes you to the north end and north face lift and you know florador is the main run out there so it's the where you can see on a clear day you can see the mackinac bridge from that mm. end of our property so pretty cool 
any thought of uh, Boyne Mountain? They're putting in that really cool sky bridge. Any thought of doing some sort of uh, statement project like that to take advantage of those views? You know, it hasn't been discussed up here, but I would rule nothing out. We're always looking for uh, new attractions and things that draw more visitation. So, uh, but not a bridge hasn't been uh, at least on my radar yet. So when you talk about snowmaking upgrades, there's a few different ways you can go with that. So a lot of the ski areas I talked to, particularly in the Midwest, want to move to kind of an all stationary fleet. So they're not moving guns around in the conditions and they just have them in place. So there's that element of it. And then there's the technology element, particularly around more efficient technology. Uh, so, so when you say you're upgrading, how much are, of a part of that are each of those elements I just mentioned? I think it all plays a part. Um, you know, you, you look at tower guns and, and strategic location and you hit the nail on the head, you know, it's about moving for us. It's, it's, as I said, a minute ago, it's, it's eliminating any downtime and downtime required to move guns around where you're, you know, not only is the gun shut off, but then the man hours to move it and get in place for the next temperature opportunity. So it's exactly what you're saying. It's gaining that efficiency by more, um, you know, permanent, if you will, or have stuff already in place so you can just fire them up. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, let's talk about chairlifts a little bit. The 2030 plan calls for quote major lift upgrades on the southern end of the resort. Specifically, was called out. So I'm assuming this means Valley and Camelot, which are two riblet triples that date to the 1960s. Are those the lifts that you're looking for for initial upgrades? We're we're certainly looking at that area. We since talked about the the you know the Challenger end as well, uh, mid you know Challenger Amy's etc. So we're actually looking at them all. Um, and and you know it, Mr. Kircher said basically by 2030 the entire lift infrastructure will be modernized mm. um, and much of it will occur in the first half of this decade. So okay. not, not, you know, saying the South end is first for sure, but that is an area we've looked at, you know, we have, uh, we've talked about p potential consolidation of lifts at the Southern end to improve mm -hmm. the skier portal and the beginner experience at this, you know, at the end of property. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're looking at it all, but, we, we definitely are going to be aggressive with lift upgrades and um, it's an exciting time. It's, it's the Heather Express was our last one. So it'll be great to get some, some uh, new technology in the pool. Do you think that the Heather Express will remain as is, or is it time to upgrade that as well? Again, that that'll be under all are under consideration. Um, mm -hmm. That probably won't be first. Um, mm -hmm. If I had to venture a guess, it, it replacement of something else would come first. And then, you know, that would be down the line if, if we were to address that. It, it, do you, do you have a personal wish list, Mike, like of uh, what you'd like to see replaced or consolidated first? You know, the, the Southern end that beginner experience would be very, very interesting. And I think really changed the dynamics of the, you know, the focal point of the resort. Um, but I, I think right before that, my preference would be that, you know, the, the challengers, Amy's, um, lifts, uh, but you know, <laughs> I'll take whatever we're willing to do. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. Any, in, any new lift will be a great, great buzz for this property. And as you, as you look at your current fleet, when you look at busy days, I know we, we just had a few, uh, we had a holiday weekend. We have another holiday weekend coming up with, with president's day. Um, do you have capacity issues with your current fleet or, or is that able to in general move the number of skiers that are there and keep lift lines under control? I would say the latter. We, we've been able to keep up, um, you know, when, when we, when we have everything open, you know, early in the season when you're limited on lifts or something might be a little different, but when we, when we have everything open our North end, we spread people out. We, we did just, we kept up very nicely this last weekend and, and MLK. So I, I do want to talk quickly about your riblet chairlift fleet, Mike, and you have eight chairlifts and seven of them are these older model riblets, which is a company that's no longer around. And then Heather Express, I, I believe is a Doppelmeyer, but um, there's been some issues with riblet chairs detaching, moving riblet chairs detaching. And the last one was at Wildcat out in New Hampshire just a few weeks ago. 
Uh, there was one out at Heavenly. There was one up in the UP a couple uh, last year. Uh, and then there was another one elsewhere in America. So these lifts have sort of a, a history of the problem with the, with the clip grips detaching. Just take us through this. What is your protocols look like? What steps does the Highlands take to keep its riblet fleet safe and make sure that you don't have an incident like that at your resort? Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's a combination of lifts and, and training and our lifts are very, very well maintained, inspected thoroughly, um, not only daily, but in the summer, our summer maintenance program. So, I mean, I would spin it the other way that those lifts have run a very long time and been very safe for us. So it's, um, it's certainly, like I said, a blend of maintenance and training and training, and we both take it, take both very seriously. You know, it's third party inspections, oversight by the state, all the cables are inspected by a third party. So it's a robust maintenance program. And we have a fortunate, uh, fortunately, we have a very experienced team and uh, that does a very good job of it. So you have, so the state of Michigan inspects the lifts and you're saying you have a third party inspector as well? Yeah. So we do, um, you know, it, on occasion, we'll have outside um, within the company, but from other part, you know, other resorts come to in, inspect us. So it's uh, it, it's something we take very seriously, like I said. And then the summer program, it's, you know, people think of ski resorts only in the winter and, oh, you must lay off all your lift people. Not, not the case whatsoever. And summer is, you know, full steam ahead of completely inspecting and replacing and upgrading. That's really interesting, Mike. I, I hadn't heard about that before. That, so, so you're saying there's a Boyne-wide program where you internally audit your lifts. We, we use resources from other resorts to come and help, you know, inspect and um, audit our lifts. Yep. That's really interesting. So I, I want to talk about the, so when you look at those riblets, like I said, you have seven of them and, and, and they're all pretty old, but, but what, what the resort managers typically will tell me when, when I point to, you know, this lift has been there since 1960, whatever is, yeah, it has, but most of the stuff has been replaced. So as you look at that fleet, how often do you actually switch out the key components, the haul ropes, the, the, the mechanical parts, the controls. So how much of that is, is just, That's okay. Um, so, you know, obviously probably in a lot of cases, the chairs and the towers are original, but we just talk about how you keep these lifts modern and safe, even though they've been running for 50, 60 years. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head. We're constantly replacing, you know, two ropes this summer we did. So it, it is, it's something we always look at and, you know, do a complete inventory. And that's why they, we keep things, you know, keep them running so long that, that it's the maintenance aspect of it and what we do in the off season to, to keep them running smoothly in the winter. And what were the ropes you replaced this summer? Um, Amy's an interconnect. Great. So the, another interesting thing about, about Highlands and about the chairs that you have there, the first triple chair uh, anywhere <laughs> opened at Highlands in 1963 and from the records I see, the resort appears to have several in service that date to that year. Curious, is that original triple chair still running as part of your fleet? Yes. Yes. It, it's now at Valley. It was at, at Heather, but okay. uh, when the high speed went in, it moved to Valley. Um, le, um, Leprechaun lift moved to North Bay. So yeah, it, in some form or another, many of those lifts are still in circulation, just yeah. relocated. When I spoke with Ed Grice, the GM, your your colleague down there at Boyne Mountain, they have the Hemlock chair, which was actually the first chairlift in the United States at Sun Valley as a single chair. And Everett Kircher put it on a train and brought it out to Michigan. And at some point it was converted into a double chair. And I asked him, you know, would you ever replace that chair or is there a nostalgia factor there? And he said, well, yeah, we, we're, we're very attached to it, but, you know, we do want to keep modernizing as a company. So I'll ask you the same question about Valley. That's that's obviously historically an important chair. As you look to upgrade the southern end of the resort, how much of a consideration is the fact that this is a little bit of a landmark? It was the first triple chair anywhere. And how much does that play into your decision to decommission and eventually take down that lift? You know, that's, that's an interesting question. I, I think, you know, Definitely, we, we, we like to tell the story and how things started, but I, I think that 
ultimately we, we want to upgrade and we, we won't let that piece of nostalgia probably stand in the way um, to, to upgrade to something modernized. You know, and th that, speaking of hemlock lift, you, that's a prime example that, you know, if lifts are well-maintained and inspected thoroughly, you know, how that they can last. And that that's a great poster child for that. So as you look to look at the future of these lifts, I imagine that you would have some sort of uh, ability for skiers to buy one of those chairs or auction them off for charity or something, to, some way to share that, that bit of history? Yeah, that would definitely be something we would entertain at that time. Sure, exactly. All right, let's talk about the mountain a little bit. It, when you go between on the interconnect lift from the bottom of Amy's and, and you go over there to the north face, there's quite a bit of terrain in there. I'm just curious, is the, is the footprint of the resort more or less set or is there room to expand and build out more ski trails in there somewhere? There is room uh, to expand. We, and it's on the North end actually. And that's the kind of been earmarked. If, if we were to expand, that would be where it would go. Um, we're blessed with about 3,300 acres all told here. Wow. Um, so we do have opportunity if we want to expand, but I, I see the investment in near term to be with the current footprint. And that would be a, a certainly a longer term scenario. So when you say you have 3,300 acres, Mike, that's pretty substantial. The, so the ski area itself is a little over 400 acres. How much of that acreage is your four golf courses that you have on site there? Oh, geez. From an acreage standpoint, I'd have to, I don't know that off the top of my head, honestly, but um, it's, it's, I would say it's spanning over 1500. And of the, of the remaining acreage is a good chunk of it appropriate for ski ter terrain development? Because obviously for golf courses, you need, you know, a little bit less of a rise and aspect right. of, and I see the future expansion here on the trail map off skiers left of North face. And then what looks right. to be a lot of woods off skiers, right of sound of skiing, but, but how much potential is there within all these hills surrounding you to actually build out? I would say it's, it again lies at that north end. Um, mm -hmm. So there's there's a significant amount um, that we could build out there. And that's kind of, that, that would be in the sites. But like I said, that's a little bit longer term. We, we, we have what we feel is adequate amount of ski terrain right now. And we want to um, invest in some of the, some of the other areas that I mentioned before we, before we push the, the northern end. Yeah, keeping in mind that that's quite a ways out. Curious if you've walked that area over there. The north end is mostly blue terrain. Is that area marked for future expansion? Pretty much the same pitch. Pretty much, yeah. There, there's a, um, yeah. I would say it's pretty similar to what you have out there now. You know, I hadn't skied Highlands for quite a long time, Mike. I, I when I lived in Michigan, I'd go up there quite a bit uh, back in the '90s, but I hadn't been there from, I don't know, early 2000s until about 2019. And when I showed up, I was really pleasantly surprised at the number of glades that the resort had developed. And, and, I, and I, I appreciate that a lot of these were likely developed before you were involved with the ski operations. But just talk a little bit about the evolution of the philosophy of ski area management and, and why Boyne Highlands or the Highlands decided to add these gladed areas over time. You know, I I wondered the same, and I asked uh, my predecessor that exact question. I said, when, what, what prompted it, or where did that come into play? And he said, he basically said, we responded to what you know the adventurists wanted. Rather than having duck the ropes and explore, we thinned out the areas to offer another you know, great option for, the, for those that want to get off the beaten path. So um, I don't, you know, like you said, it was, it was it was earlier on. Um, I, I'm trying to think it was early nineties probably, but, um, so yeah, they were just kind of responding to what the guests wanted. And he said, you know, there could be some other opportunities at the North end to do, to do some more, um, eventually, but that's kind of how it unfolded. And who is it that, that leads that process? Do you, do you have a, uh, kind of a trail management team or? Yeah. Well, at the time I, you know, John McGregor, um, who was, an SVP out West was, uh, I'm sure an integral part of that. And then, um, we just have, yeah, we, we, we take a hard look at it with our SVP and the ski world, uh, ski operations and see what makes sense and where we can expand. 
And what are some of those areas that you may be able to glade in the future? Is there anywhere you can point to on the trail map that you're considering? You know, we haven't talked about it specifically, but, you know, when you just talk about having more acreage and more um, areas of opportunity, that kind of folds into what I was saying a minute ago, that the north end is kind of our next in the sites to expand. Um, so there'd be there'd be offshoots of that um, that we could look at if we wanted to expand our glade footprint. Mm-hmm. And as far as within the current footprint, not talking about the future expansion area off of North Face, is there room for any more trails in there or is that footprint set? Uh, It's pretty set, I would say. All right, Mike, let's talk about passes and tickets. I want to start with the Icon Pass. The Highlands was an early inaugural member of the Icon Pass. How has that partnership worked out for you? It's been great. You know, it's, it's given those that traditionally only skied the mountains, maybe opportunity to experience some Michigan skiing. Um, you know, there's also an element of the icon holders that are, you know, they're icon bucket listers. They try to hit every resort <laughs> on the pass. So no, but, but it's, it's been great. They want to head for a weekend or two up North and then go on a big trip out West to big sky, for example. Um, it's, it's, it's perfect for that, obviously. Do you get some of these bucket listers that are accustomed? Maybe they're based in the West and they come through the Midwest just to try it out just because they want to check them yeah. all off. It, yeah, exactly. And, and, and what's their reaction to that? Because, you know, typically Western skiers don't leave the West because they have it so good out there. Uh, but but do, do they appreciate it? Are, are they are they uh, surprised by what they find? What, what's the reaction been from folks who come from these really snowy big they, mountain regions? I think they appreciate Michigan skiing. Sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's not a, it's not a ton of our visitation, um, but it's, it certainly seems to be growing. And with Michiganders, do you find that Icon Pass is a popular product? Because if you, I mean, if you get the full Icon Pass, that gives you seven days at the Highlands. It gives you seven days at Boyne Mountain, which is quite a bit, you know, that's enough for uh, in 14 days, that's seven weekends. And then they also can take a trip or two out West or out East. Do you find that that's a popular option for that? Definitely. Yeah. Like you're saying, you get, depending on which icon you get, you know, five to seven days at the Highlands, five to seven days at the mountain, then you can hop on a plane and head to the big mountains and, you know, big sky is a prime example for us, um, you know, and so, yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's an awesome alternative for, like you said, five to seven days is a fair amount. And then you make, you know, make your one or two trips West. It's, it's a great, great pass for that, for sure. Uh, curious how many, what volume of Icon Pass visits you're seeing. I was talking to your colleagues out at Sunday River and Sugarloaf and quite a high percentage of their day tickets is now Icon Pass visits. But we're in a region where the Icon Pass offers quite a few options. You have Sunday River Sugarloaf and, and Loon, which are your mountains. And then you have Sugarbush and Pico and Killington, um, as well as Stratton and then Wyndham in New York. So there's a lot of options and, and perhaps more Icon Pass buyers. But uh, what percentage of your day tickets are now Icon Passes have replaced those walk-up lift tickets? Yeah, so for us, it's it's certainly not as big a percentage as the other places. Um, we're still under 10% of our visits, but it, but it is growing. And then on the flip side, you have your season pass and, and a lot of Icon Pass partners that are not owned by Altera have gone to this option your top tier Highlands Pass actually includes an Icon Base Pass. Has this has this option been popular with your local skiers? So it, it, it's not the top Highlands Pass, it's the top uh, pass we offer in the system, which is the Platinum Pass. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to make clarity on that. And it, yep. it, it, it is uh, still a small percentage, but it is growing, yep. And, and what kind of feedback have you gotten on that pass? Is it is it uh, is it something that, that folks we're looking for anyway, or, or, or was it, was it kind of like, Oh, I hadn't thought about going out West, but now that I can do it because I have this pass, I'm going to plan a trip or two out there. Exactly. I think they, it, it gets them thinking like, Oh man, maybe I can make a trip West and enjoy some Midwest skiing and then go, go out visit. Like I said, big sky continues to be, you know, as far as, um, our pass holders, that seems to be the, the favorite right now or the leader in the clubhouse. You also get your, your top passes have have for a long time. I don't know if it's been always, but uh, include three days at the other Boyne properties. The Big Sky, obviously, being the flagship, but also Brighton in Utah and Summit at Snoqualmie in Washington, and all the great New England mountains that you have. So, I'd imagine for a lot of folks, this is enough, and they appreciate that option. Are, are you saying that uh, 
your pass holders in general go to Big Sky using the Icon Pass or just these regular benefits that Boeing's always offered? So yeah, the the Gold Pass uh, is the one that includes the others. And it, you know, as the awareness of this perk grows, we're seeing more and more pass holders take advantage. You know. Uh, and we're seeing gold pass holders from our sister resorts come here, which is mm-hmm. also fun. So, but yeah, Boyne Mountain and the Highlands, I think, I think they're number one and two for reciprocal gold, you know, pass benefit use at Big Sky. So our, our oh, wow. loyalists love going out there and, and seeing our sister resorts. And what a great, you know, it's a wonderful thing we can do as a company to leverage our past products that, you know, comes with all the benefits, you know, heading to our other properties and see some other great skiing. I, you know, I, I, I'll ask about Nubs Knob just because it's right across the street. Um, and, and it's, it's a, a very beloved resort. What, what's, what's the relationship like between, uh, the Highlands and Nubs Knob? Is that, is there a good working relationship there? Absolutely. Uh, Ben, the GM over there and I speak frequently that great respect for each other's operations and, and, you know, they're a fantastic, uh, ski area and, uh, no, we have a wonderful working relationship. Are there times you have to help each other out? You know, a groomer breaks, a lift breaks, you got a spare part, things like that happen. We, we have helped each other. Yes. Yeah. So we're that, you know, if there's something comes up and we can help, we will. And they're, they're the, certainly do the same for us. Curious if you've ever discussed a joint pass. And, and I ask this just cause there's precedent for it with Boyne's Brighton mountain out in uh, big cottonwood Canyon, you know, in Utah is right next to solitude, which is owned by Altera. Obviously that's, a little bit different circumstance because that's an icon pass partner, but it wasn't always. And that Solbright connection has been in place for quite a long time. So just curious, have you ever talked about a joint pass or some kind of reciprocal agreement with Nubs Knob? You know, I don't think that's um, been discussed on a joint pass uh, just because we have our, you know, two Michigan properties and we leverage those um, areas into one pass. So um, certainly not to my knowledge, since I've been in this role, has that been discussed? I do want to ask about one difference between the Highlands and Boyne Mountain. Boyne Mountain is the champion of spring skiing, and I know Mount Bohemia has been trying to challenge them a little bit on this. But as far as Michigan goes, Boyne Mountain is the late opener. Just curious why Boyne Mountain was designated as that mountain that'll, that will push the season as late as possible and why Highlands tends to close up shop right around the end of March. So a couple of reasons it made sense. Um, for them to try to stay open longer than, than for us, for example. And one is geographic location. You know, they're, they're, you know, 45 minutes closer to the Grand Rapids, Detroit, et cetera. So the drive to uh, traffic that we receive. The other reason is, you know, the resort in general can stay open um, longer. The demand, uh, the, the bed base is there with their blue green uh, accommodations. The water park plays a key role in that. You know, they can keep that open. So it's the, the combination of the draw of the water park. And then um, geographically, it makes a lot more sense for people from downstate. So we opt to close, have a hard shutdown um, as we transition for, out of ski into golf. And d- does Boyne have any, does Boyne Mountain have any advantages of elevation or aspect that it faces or anything else that allows it to hold snow a little longer? Not really. No, no, it's just a business decision we've made. And, and for the, for the reasons I mentioned, and it, it just, ma- it makes more sense to them to stay into April than it does for us with the demand levels, et cetera. We, we don't feel there's an, enough demand for two places and hotels and everything to be fully open. So we kind of stand down and, and push that our traffic, what we would have to them so they can have, you know, business levels that warrant stay staying open later. All right, Mike, let's talk about COVID. We're, we're in our second year, well, third ski season, I guess, dealing with COVID, if you count the, the season that ended abruptly when it shut everything down. And then I'd imagine you learned a lot last year and had to uh, adjust your operations significantly, just like everyone else. Um, you know, Now that you've had six, eight weeks of, of operations here in your second year of operating with COVID, uh, what are you seeing that's different from last year as far as the way that you're running the resort and the way that your guests are reacting to the restrictions? Yeah. So I, I would say this year, we certainly have had nice waves of normalcy, right? That we didn't ever settle into. It felt like last year and, you know, we have waves of normalcy, but then the virus numbers spike up and reminds us, Hey, it is still around, but 
the, the primary difference probably for us is just the, the food and beverage landscape, right? It, we've allowed people into food courts, into, into outlets, um, maybe not 100% capacity like we were three years ago, but just getting inside, um, sit down type of service has really been the main thing. You know, last year was so much grab and go. Um, from an outdoors perspective, you know, it's certainly a lot less masking that um, the way we load chairs, we're letting chairs be fuller now than we did a year ago. So it, it like I said, it's certainly much, much more uh, the feeling of normal, you know, obviously these spikes in our indoor spaces, we have to be very careful and our teams are completely masked up indoors. Um, obviously, and we pushed our team for vaccination. So it's, it's, it's different, but we're still uh, acutely aware that it's still around and we have to deal with it. Yeah, it, it seems like, you know, looking around the country and looking around the ski industry, there's a lot of COVID fatigue, no doubt, I think just throughout our society, but I think people are adapting to it. I, I know certainly I am and, and people around me are, I, I mean, are you, I know last year there was some, not at your resort in particular, but just throughout the industry, some frustration and some, uh, some tension between guests and, and staff that would ask folks to mask up and, and they wanted to fight that. And, and, and there was just, there were some ugly incidents. Have you seen people just sort of get used to it and, 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 and that temperature lower a little bit, maybe? Definitely. It's, it's a lot different than a year ago. Like you said, there was, there was built-in animosity and we had gosh, you know, people getting very upset with lift operators and there's just all this, um, you know, not, not to the level that it was unmanageable, but it's it certainly that has dropped off and people have gotten used to, you know, what we're dealing with. And, you know, like I said, some of the stuff inside has been softened. So I think that people are, people are knowing what to expect now and, and comfortable with it, that, that we've got, you know, a lot more normalized than we were a year ago. So it, it, it's a lot different vibe this year, for sure. One of the things that's been most surprising, Mike, is this labor shortage that has kind of been a side effect of COVID over the last year or so. And it seems that it's affecting some resorts more than others for various reasons. Just curious how it's affecting Highlands. Have you had trouble staffing up this year? You know, this might surprise you, but we didn't. Um, thankfully, and a big factor in that uh, we were able to recruit about 90 J1 students. Oh, great. Um, so we, we housed them on, on site and that played a key, key role for us that we didn't have last year. And we were, we're in a much different place than we were. I mean, we're hundred percent hired out and um, we, we could never say that at any point during last season. And we, mm-hmm. we were, you know, struggling to cross train and get people in the right roles and, you know, it, it, it was a challenge for sure, but we're blessed this year that we have we have adequate team numbers. How much do you think it, just being in Michigan plays into that, Mike? Because it seems like you're not out west where you're looking at very expensive, very restrictive resort townhousing, right? It's it's pretty easy to get around Michigan. The roads are pretty flat. Um, you know, it's the cost of living is pretty uh, is pretty manageable for the most part. So so how much has has that contributed? to you just being able to staff up fully and in ways that may have been more challenging for your Western or Eastern counterparts? Well, I think the key factor uh, is housing, right? Mm -hmm. Our housing in our region is, is an extreme challenge as well. Mm -hmm. So if you're not, if you're not able to house team members, you're, you're dead in the water. And we've been fortunate. We took our um, Bartley house, uh, small hotel and converted that completely into team member housing. So no, no guests stay in the building whatsoever anymore, which is new for us. So mm. that to me is, is the biggest thing. And, you know, like everyone, we had to look at our starting wages, uh, merit raises, loyalty, you know, we did a lot of loyalty where you stay on bonus at the end of the year, you stick with us, uh, referral bonuses. So uh, like everyone, we had to get creative, but to me, housing is the, the, the needle mover. And, you know, not all our resorts in, in Michigan, I know that Point Mountain was still needing some people and in at Bay Harbor. So it's a challenge every season. It's a challenge for sure. But we knock on wood, we're, we were, we're in a pretty good situation this winter. 
And, and how much of your, I mean, you mentioned the J1s, and obviously that's a whole different thing where they're coming in for a season and they're, they're getting that experience. What percentage of, or not percentage, but, but to what degree do you have folks who, you know, lifties or snowmakers or, or, or cat operators who have just been working at Highlands for decades or, or longer and, and just come back year after year and you can, and that's sort of a built-in reliable labor force. Do you, do you have a good contingent of those folks? We really do. And, you know, speaking back to golf, that's kind of, um, you know, many of those folks that work in the winter just flip over to our golf operations in the summer. So we have that built in year round, full time year round employee that, you know, just flicks the switch and goes to the other season. So, yeah, we're, we're lucky in that sense. And then to complement it, complement that full time year round group with the, you know, the, the J1 type students is, is how we can be successful. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna ask about that point. Since you have those four golf courses, I imagine it takes quite a bit of manpower to run all of those. So, so how many folks are you able to keep around year round? Oh, it's it's significant. When when we're fully staffed up, you know, we're up upwards of six hundred team members, mm-hmm. and many many transfer over. You know, they go from golf shop operations into ski rental or Boeing Country Sports retail or you know, agronomy people that work on golf courses or mechanics can transfer right over. So it's a, that's the the, the other, you know, great part about having full, you know, um, golf courses in the summer that can take that team and move them right into winter operations. And many have been doing it a long time. So, you know, by percentage, gosh, we probably have, you know, 40, 40%, 50% that are, uh, more than that, actually, probably more like 75% that are wow. full-time. Do you have downhill mountain biking right now? Yes. And you, I think, I believe you mentioned earlier that you plan to expand that as part of the 2030? Uh, hiking and biking trails. Yeah, we, we want to, you know, our hiking for sure um, is part of our plan right now. You know, we have so many people that just enjoy the resort and want to venture out and walk, you know, and maybe not, are not into something aggressive. So we're looking at expanding our footprint only, not only up top, but at the base area, for example, you know, as we look at our equestrian area, maybe a walking path leaving there that connects the north end of our property. If you want to go to lunch at the country club and then take a path back, walking back to the main core of the resort hotel area, you can do so. So it's going to be an important part of our expansion. When I talk about biking to it, biking at the base level, we have mountain biking up top, Mm-hmm. Um, we'll continue to look at walking trails up top there, you know, atop the mountain as well, but, um, it, it'll play an important part for sure. Incredible. Well, lots of exciting things on the way, Mike, I cannot wait to see them all evolve and unfold, especially these lifts. I'm very interested in that. So, uh, we'd love to bring you back on to discuss those. Once you have a plan, I, I, I know since it's Boyne, it's going to be something spectacular, uh, and it's going to be something that. It makes us all anxious to get up there. So, so thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for staying with me through my technical difficulties. I'm glad we were able to get it done. And I will uh, look forward to meeting you up at Boyne Highlands or, or up at the Highlands at some point in person. Awesome, Stuart. Thank you so much. I enjoyed being with you very much. And we're, we'll be excited to share more as uh, each part of this journey unfolds. That's Mike Chumbler president and general manager of the Highlands at Harbor Springs, Michigan. Highland Skiers, how are you feeling about that name change? Personally, I have to be honest, I'm having a hard time with it. Sorry, Mike, I appreciate you and your team, and I'm sure you're gonna kill it with the 2030 plan, but I have got to stay objective, and I'm just not feeling that name. Maybe it'll grow on me. Highland Skiers, what do you think? Hit me up on social or by email at skiing at substack.com. Really though, Mike, thank you so much for breaking that down for us and for bearing with me through our technical difficulties. The man demonstrated extreme grace and patience with me, and I cannot thank him enough for that. And thank you all for listening. Continuing the Midwest theme with my next episode, Rick Schmitz owns three Wisconsin ski areas, Little Switzerland, Nordic Mountain and the Rock Snowpark. And he has one of the most interesting stories and unique points of view in the entire ski business. That one is already in the can and trust me, you are going to love it. 
After that, you will hear from the leaders of Mount Pleasant, Pennsylvania, Beaver Mountain, Utah, Solitude, Utah, Beaver Creek, Colorado, Snow Ridge, New York, Big Sky, Montana, and Summit at Snoqualmie, Washington. And yes, I am always planning more. The very best way to get those the second they drop is to subscribe to the free Storm Skiing newsletter at stormskiing.com. I'll tell you something. The episodes do not sync with iTunes or Spotify or Google Play or anywhere else until several hours after I publish them via the newsletter. Frankly, I have no idea why that is. It's not anything I'm doing. It's just the way the feed works. Again, the newsletter is the heart of the storm, and it is the best way to stay in the midst of everything going on in the world of lift search skiing. You can also follow along with Storm on Twitter or Instagram at Storm Ski Journal. Thank you all for listening. Stay well, stay safe. I'm Stuart Winchester, and I will talk to you again very soon. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.